You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 1. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, live soberly, and set your hopes completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like obedient children, do not act in compliance with the desires of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in every aspect of your conduct, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a delight to introduce the theme of holiness with reference to the teachings of the Second Vatican Council and Pope Francis. Holiness is a careful topic in Christian theology. We can have the tendency to error along several extremes concerning the topic of holiness. For example, someone might say, I can never be holy. Another might say, I am the very living definition of holiness. And yet another might say, holiness is uninteresting. However, we find upon a quick survey of the Judeo-Christian tradition That holiness is a centerpiece for understanding God and ourselves as made in the divine image. So let us plunge into the mystery of holiness as related directly to the gift of divine grace. So this is the first point, that holiness is not something we do for ourselves, not something we achieve by ourselves. It is the gift of God. God gives us the grace, empowers us to become holy like God is holy. His grace perfects our nature, our creaturely nature. Holiness is a defining attribute of divinity. So it's so important for us to study what it means to be holy. Let's begin with this English word holy or holiness. How might we define this from a Christian perspective? We might say, to stay the course in one's personal and unique vocation from God by God's grace, by God's assistance. This is one way to think about holiness, staying the course in my personal vocation from God by the grace that he supplies. The word holiness 
In English, is also related to the word whole or wholeness that begins with W. And it's a great way to understand holiness in terms of being whole, perfect, complete by what God is doing in us, making us whole according to the pattern that he preordains for us to become. Holiness defines the saint. The saint, someone who by God's grace lives a life of heroic virtue. The very word saint means to be holy. Christian discipleship yearns for sanctity, yearns for holiness. But again, holiness is something that happens when God supplies the increase, as St. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians. Let's then have a look at a short passage from a really important document of the Second Vatican Council, which happened between the years 1962 and 1965. This document that is the dogmatic constitution of the Church, the Latin title Lumen Gentium, that is the Church is the light of the nations. So I'll read from the very opening paragraph of chapter 5 of Lumen Gentium, chapter 5 dedicated to the universal call to holiness. To say universal call to holiness means that everyone in the church is called to the same perfection of love. The perfection of love also defines the meaning of holiness. So to read from the paragraphs 39 and 40 of Lumen Gentium on this universal call to holiness. Therefore, all in the church, whether they belong to the hierarchy, that is the clergy, bishops, priests, and deacons, or are cared for by it, namely the laity, all in the church are called to holiness, according to the apostles' saying, St. Paul, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. See 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and Ephesians 1.4. This holiness of the church is shown constantly in the fruits of grace, which the Spirit produces in the faithful, and so it must be. It is expressed in many ways by the individuals who, each in their own state of life, tend to the perfection of charity and are thus a source of edification for others. It appears in a way especially suited to it in the practice of those councils which are usually called evangelical, the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So this especially is evident in people who take vows of the evangelical councils, people in religious life especially, but lay people too can live according to the spirit of the evangelical councils. We are called to by Christ. This practice of the councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience, each in our own state of life, prompted by the Holy Spirit, undertaken by many Christians, whether privately or in a form or state sanctioned by the church, provides in the world, as it should, a striking witness and example of that holiness. So this is giving us, again, a preliminary definition of holiness, is living a pattern of life that could be described as poor, chaste, and obedient which is the very pattern of the life of Christ. Going on then in paragraph 40, the Lord Jesus, 
divine teacher and model of all perfection, preached holiness of life, which he both initiates and brings to perfection to each and every one of his disciples, no matter what their condition of life. As he says to us in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's good to begin this reflection on holiness with reference to the Second Vatican Council, a very important church document with the highest level of authority of church teaching, Lumen Gentium, which says that all of us followers of Christ are called to the perfection of love by his love at work within us. All of us are called to the same standard of holiness, whether lay people or clergy. All of us in the church, we were baptized into this vocation to holiness, and it never leaves us our whole life. The Second Vatican Council was a very deep breath and exhale for the global church, underscoring this universal call to holiness. It's one of the signature motifs, we could say, of the Second Vatican Council, something that is ever old, ever new. Now let's turn our attention to Pope Francis in his 2018 apostolic exhortation called Gaudete et Exultate in Latin, from the opening words of the exhortation, Rejoice and be glad. From the Gospel of St. Matthew, again, chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, Rejoice and be glad. What is the context of this? The Beatitudes, when you live like this by my grace, even when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, rejoice and be glad. Yours is the kingdom of God. This 2018 Apostolic Exhortation of Pope Francis was published on the Solemnity of St. Joseph, Husband of Mary, March 19th. And it's symbolic because St. Joseph was a holy man by the grace of God. Even at what it was beginning to be unleashed in the world through the Incarnation. We think about the role St. Joseph played in the Incarnation and the caretaking of Jesus growing up as an infant and a small child and an adolescent into young adulthood. St. Joseph is a great light of holiness in the church, a great model of fatherhood, of fidelity, of staying the course in his personal and unique vocation from God by the grace God gives. Pope Francis, in paragraph two of this exhortation, tells us the purpose for publishing it. He says, this is not meant to be a treatise on holiness containing definitions and distinctions helpful for understanding this important subject or a discussion of the various means of sanctification. He says, my modest goal is to repropose the call to holiness in a practical way for our own time with all its risks challenges, and opportunities. And then quoting from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, For the Lord has chosen each one of us to be holy and blameless before him in love. So this is God's will for us, to be holy and blameless before him in love. But God makes this happen again. 
if we only let him, if we only utter with our Blessed Mother Mary, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, let it be done unto me according to your word. I'd like first to look at paragraphs 40 through 42, which deals with the mystery and surprises of life. It's a very beautiful passage. So Pope Francis here begins by critiquing a perennial heresy, false teaching in the church called Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. From the Greek word gnosis, that means knowledge. It was a heresy in the early church. Uh, Some movements within Christianity that claimed that salvation was a matter of some secretive knowledge. We get this in uh, a lot of territories in the human experience. If you can only crack the code, if you can only be admitted into this elite club, then you're saved. But that's not the gospel. Pope Francis says, Gnosticism is one of the most sinister ideologies because while unduly exalting knowledge or a specific experience, it considers its own vision of reality to be perfect. We may often have this temptation in life for ourselves, thinking that my own vision of reality is the perfect one, the standard by which every other person's vision should be compared. Or we might see it in other people, He goes on to say, thus perhaps without even realizing it, this ideology feeds on itself and becomes even more myopic. That is tunnel vision. It can become all the more illusory when it masks itself as a disembodied spirituality. That is to say, a spirituality that's not related to real life, practical life, the messiness of life. A kind of spirituality that hovers beyond the fray, the messiness. But that is not the gospel. In fact, God enters into the heart of the messiness to save us from ourselves. For Gnosticism, by its very nature, seeks to domesticate the mystery of faith, the mystery of salvation, whether the mystery of God and his grace or the mystery of others' lives. Seeks to domesticate it, manipulate it, control all these things. It's wrong-headed. He goes on to say, paragraph 41, when somebody has an answer for every question, it is a sign that they are not on the right road. That's a great line. <laughs> uh, sometimes we may feel like this ourselves, like, go ahead, anyone ask me a question, I will give you the gospel truth answer and everything. Even us theology professors can be very guilty of this, as if we are walking encyclopedias that have an answer for every question. But the fact is, none of us does. doesn't mean we don't know anything. We haven't studied some things, any of us. But it means that we have to maintain humility and not pretend to have this exact ready-made answer for every question. But when somebody has this pretentiousness about them, as if they have an answer for every question, it's a sign they're not on the right road. Pope Francis says further, they may well be false prophets who use religion for their own purposes to promote their own psychological or intellectual theories. 
God, however, infinitely transcends us. He is full of surprises. We are not the ones to determine when and how we will encounter him. The exact times and places of that encounter are not up to us. Someone who wants everything to be clear and sure presumes to control God's transcendence. Nor can we claim to say where God is not, because God is mysteriously present in the life of every person, in a way that he himself chooses, and we cannot exclude this by our presumed certainties. Even when someone's life appears completely wrecked, even when we see it devastated by vices or addictions, God is present there. If we let ourselves be guided by the Spirit rather than our own preconceptions, we can and must try to find the Lord in every human life, without exception. This is part of the mystery that a Gnostic mentality cannot accept, since it is beyond its control. Mm -mm -mm. Such wisdom from Pope Francis here from a man who has experienced a lot in life and has interacted with so many different people in different walks of life, has come to know the power of divine mercy and its necessity concerning each one of our salvation. The disciple of Jesus is not the person who claims to be in control of everything going on in his or her life. This is not the meaning of following Jesus. Following Jesus is a riskful enterprise. We risk everything for the glory of his name and his will to be done in our lives, for him to carry out his mission in and through us. And who is Jesus? Who is our Lord and Savior? He is not rich. He is not powerful in secular terms. He is not an ideologue. He does not proclaim a gospel of Gnosticism. He does not proclaim a gospel of self-sufficiency. He proclaims a gospel of riskful, redemptive adventure to follow him wherever he leads. And sometimes he can lead us into some jungle territories, some hairy territories, some turbulent waters. But he never leaves us in these times. Related to this, I just want to look at one other passage in Gaudete et Exultate, this apostolic exhortation of Pope Francis, chapter 4, where he talks about the signs of holiness in today's world. And the first of the five signs which he discusses here in chapter 4 is the sign that could be described in terms of perseverance, patience, and meekness. I especially want to underline the word meekness and the meaning of meekness. So, by God's grace, we're able to be strengthened and persevere amid life's ups and downs, he says. Paragraph 112. But also to endure hostility, betrayal, and failings on the part of others. Maybe you have to endure something like this right now in your life. Maybe in relation to multiple people on multiple levels. Then he quotes St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? This is the source of the peace found in the saints. Such inner strength makes it possible for us in our fast-paced, noisy, and aggressive world to give a witness of holiness through patience 
and the constancy in doing good. It is a sign of the fidelity born of love. For those who put their faith in God can also be faithful to other people who are facing them. They do not desert others in bad times. They accompany them in their anxiety and distress, even though doing so may not bring immediate satisfaction. This is the meaning of fidelity. Fidelity is tested when things aren't going perfectly in life, when there's certain things out of our control that happen and we have to deal with them. But to deal with them with fidelity, fidelity to God and fidelity to the other person facing me. And this is a message, I assure you, I wanted to make sure to highlight in this podcast episode because there's things I'm going through in my own life that I need to hear this message again. I need to hear about forgiveness. I need to hear about don't be anxious. I need to hear about trusting in Christ through everything. I think we all need to hear this message over and over again. The thing is, when we follow him, when we're serious about following him and make decisions that are for Christ and for where he wants to lead us, we can tend to experience a little more trial, a little more tribulation, a little more hardship. In German, the word is anfektung. We can experience a bit more persecution and attack from the demons and we find ourselves in the big testing bed of virtue that is fortified to the measure of our acquiescence to God's grace. Pope Francis goes on in paragraph 113. Saint Paul bade the Romans not to repay evil for evil. See Romans chapter 12. Not to seek revenge not to be overcome by evil, but instead to overcome evil with good. This attitude is not a sign of weakness, but of true strength, because God himself, we read in the book of the prophet Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, is slow to anger, but great in power. The word of God exhorts us to put away all bitterness and wrath and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Quoting Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31, we need to recognize and combat our aggressive and selfish inclinations and not let them take root. So much of what we do as human beings comes out of this involuntary drive of self-preservation, of looking out for ourselves simply to preserve our lives, to remain satiated with the basic needs of life. So if we endure something of a hardship concerning loss of money, material goods, health, different things like this, we can feel pretty worked up. Like, what's going on? My ship is sinking. But we must look back to the master who is asleep in the stern of the boat and trust in his providential care through it all. St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Pope Francis continues, When we feel overwhelmed, we can always cling to the anchor of prayer, which puts us back in God's hands and the source of our peace. And then he quotes from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 
have no anxiety about anything. Really, St. Paul? Is that possible? I guess by God's grace it is. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Then Pope Francis goes on to talk about internet ethics and social media ethics. It's very beautiful. Things he has to say in paragraph 115. And I just want to conclude this reflection in quoting paragraph 116 of Gaudete Exultate. Pope Francis writes that inner strength as the work of grace. Always the work of grace. God's work within us. The divine spirit moving within our creaturely souls and bodies. Inner strength as the work of grace prevents us from being carried away by the violence that is so much a part of life today. Think of the last episode of violence you witnessed, or maybe you carried out yourself. But this inner strength of God's grace prevents us from being carried away by this violence that is so much part of life today because grace diffuses the vanity and makes possible meekness of heart. The saints do not waste energy complaining about the failings of other people. They can hold their tongue before the faults of their brothers and sisters and avoid the verbal violence that demeans and mistreats other people. Saints hesitate to treat others harshly. They consider others better than themselves. Like St. Paul says, his letter to the Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Altogether, these words are so inspiring of Pope Francis. I really wanted to feature several other passages of this exhortation, but for the sake of time, I'll stop here and just invite you to read the whole thing on your own when you have time, even little by little. You will be glad that you did, that you go and read this exhortation. It's available online. I'll put a link to it in the description of the podcast. It's so exciting, so inspiring for many new beginnings we have in life. By God's grace, another second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance to begin again, to glorify Him in our lives, no matter our circumstance. So may we let down our guard against the impossibility of becoming holy by the constant intervention of divine mercy and grace. And may we let ourselves be lifted by the saving hand of Jesus that is never beyond our freedom of reach. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 